morning. Our uh, reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 12, verses 20 to 25. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a god and not of man. At once, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God spread and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem along with John, who was also called Mark. Let's let's pray a little bit before you sit down. Just looking at the title of that sermon should let you know that we need to do some serious soul searching and praying this morning. So God, we pray right now, search my heart, Open my spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. Would you take a moment and pray that right now? Maybe you're watching at home. You're watching later. Listen to the podcast. I would encourage you. Maybe you're driving down the road. Just pray for the Holy Spirit to open your spiritual eyes and ears. Speak to me right at my point of need. Convict me of my sin, Holy Spirit. Encourage me where I need to be encouraged. Rebuke me where I need to be rebuked. God, I lay myself before you right now. And ask you to speak. In Jesus' name we pray you may be seated. Let's talk about selfish pride and radical, radical humility. Someone has said that selfish, that pride, not selfish pride, but said that pride is much like cholesterol. You have good cholesterol and you have bad cholesterol. So, you know, not, so I want to make sure we're clear on this. The reason I'm saying selfish pride is because not necessarily all pride is wrong. You can be proud of someone else's accomplishments or what they're doing or like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But whenever it's selfish pride about me and what, what you know, we'll get into that in just a moment. That's a little bit different. And radical humility, because most of the time when I think of radical, let me give you the definition for radical, because most of the time we think about radical, we think about somebody being like, you know, real bombastic and loud and everything like that. But radical, look at this. Now, this is straight from Siri, so you know it's got to be right. Relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something. Look at that. Affecting the fundamental nature. So this is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to change my nature. Because my natural sinful nature is going to be selfish and prideful. It's not, am I prideful? That's not the question to ask. The question is, how prideful am I? I mean, this morning, if you're sitting here right now and you're listening to this and you're saying, yeah, well, you know, David, this is for my husband or this is for my wife or this is for my kids. I'm glad they're here. Then I got bad news for you. You're the one that needs to be hearing this sermon. We all need this. I am preaching to myself this morning because I am prideful. I'm very prideful. And so relating to affecting to the fundamental nature of something far-reaching and thorough. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us with this, every single one of us. Because, think about this. How do you become more humble? I would argue that in and of yourself, you can't do it. It's going to take the transforming work of the Holy Spirit through prayer, Bible study, all these other things we'll talk about this morning. But apart, if, I, if I take out that part of the equation, the, the working of the Holy Spirit, humility is not going to happen. Not especially Radical humility, something that's changing my fundamental nature, fundamental nature here. So, look at this, selfish pride, radical humility. Let's, let's compare the two right here. Selfish pride, man, it's, about, it's all about what I deserve, what I think I'm getting, what I should be getting, what I'm not getting. Radical humility, it's all about serving others. And then selfish pride, what this is going to do, this is going to cause me to be distant from God because God opposes the proud, but he draws near to the humble. It's going to get me closer to God right here. And then selfish pride is going to end up with strained relationship with God, strained relationship with everybody else. And then radical humility, I'm going to have a healthy relationship with God. And this in turn is going to help me to have healthy relationships with other people, my family, my friends, spouse, whatever it may be. Selfish pride does some things here. It keeps us from, it causes us to do some things. 
Let's start off with what it keeps us from, and maybe this will help us identify it in our own mind and our own heart. Selfish pride keeps us from admitting when we're wrong, showing our weaknesses, saying we're sorry, celebrating the success of other people, admitting we don't know what we're doing. Selfish pride causes us to, causes us, this is what it causes us to, to keep arguing even when we know we're wrong. To insist on our way. To always have the last word. And by the way, we're going to have some wonderful marriage seminar starting in October, the first Monday in October. It just made me think about that right here. To think that we should have all the answers and to think we don't need other people. And I want to tell you something. You know, if we look at this list right here, what that makes me think of is this is exactly what the enemy wants us to believe and think. Every single one of them. If you put just the antithesis of every single one of these, and that's what God wants for us. Because if I look at just the opposite of this, you know, it doesn't want me, the Holy Spirit doesn't want me arguing, and you know, when I know that I'm wrong. But when I know that I'm wrong, the Holy Spirit wants me to be able to humble myself and say, hey, you know what? You're right. And I'm wrong. And you know what? We can do that and live through it. Amen. You will live to see another day if you're able to do that. Not always insist on having our way. You know, to be able to look at the other people and say, okay, you know, this isn't about what I want and me and my life. This is about these other people that I'm in relationships with. And to always have the last word. It isn't about me always getting that last word in there because I am right. I think that we should have all the answers, but to be able to lead someone to the Word of God and to the one who does have all the answers. And what does the Bible say about the one another is to love one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another. The Bible is full of one another. Listen, I'll tell you something. You've got to understand something. Anytime that you think I need to isolate myself, I need to get away from these people, I need to stop going to church, whatever it may be, whatever that argument is, I want to tell you something, that is not from God. God wants you to be connected with the fellowship and the one another's for you to be serving and also to be receiving encouragement from the other people within the body of Christ. Here we go, 1 John 2, 15, 16. So I think of the three big issues that we all deal with. And it's interesting that in 1 John, if you haven't studied this book, this is a wonderful book to study. It's about as long as a Sermon on the Mount, and it is power-filled. Here's what he says. Don't love the world are the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So that's tough. John is saying right there, he's saying, listen, if you're loving the world, then the love of the Holy Spirit, the God, the Father, that's not stirring within your heart. You can't be loving both at the same time. Look at this. Here's three big things. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride. I know some of y'all look at this and say, it's just like the pride of life because I grew up with the King James Version saying the pride of life. Well, let, me, let me help you with something here, okay? The pride of life is not a good translation of this word. Life in Greek is zoe, okay? That's always translated life. This is baos right here. Total different word. So here's what you have to understand. What is bios, right? What does that mean right there? So what he's saying is, is bios says the things, the necessities of things that you think you need to live in this life. So that would be your finances, your money, all these things that you would think of as material security things. So if I am prideful about the material securities, even my family would fall under this, prideful of these things, my bank account, if I'm relying on them, that's called idol worship, by the way. That's me putting something else above God. That's me, when I'm relying on something above God, then that's idol worship right there. So it's interesting to me that pride falls in with one of the top big threes right here in 1 John. It's a big deal. Psalm 104 from Psalm 10, verse 4, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, speaking of God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And that's a, that is a convicting verse. Because we can get so loaded up with the worries of this world, so loaded up with ourselves, all the things that we've got to get done and everything, that there's no room in our thought processes throughout the day not to mention throughout the week, there's no room there to be thinking about God. Look at this. 
This is what it says about pride, that it gets me to where I'm thinking about other things. Let me ask you something. Take a little inventory of your thought life this past week. As you went through this past week, how dominant were your thoughts about God throughout your days as you went through the day? If you sit there and if you sit right now and you're like, man, me honestly didn't really think much about God. Well, the text right here, the Bible is saying, the reason I don't think very much about God is because I'm prideful, because I'm thinking way too much about myself and all these things. You know, really, what it comes down to? I can get so focused on the blessings from God that I don't focus on God. So here's our text, Acts chapter 20, if you remember, I mean, Acts chapter 12. If you remember last week, what happened was, is Herod Agrippa I killed James. I remember that? Was it James or John? James. It was James. Thank you. It's been a whole week. I've done a whole lot of studying since then. So James, which was one of the, well, he was James and John, the sons of thunder, that was his brother. So he, he had him executed, and then he had Peter thrown in prison. He was going to execute him. He was waiting a few days for the, the Passover feast to get over with. And the, the angel of the Lord came and freed Peter from the prison. And you know, he, he broke, you know, the, the, the angel broke him out of prison miraculously, and then he couldn't break into the prayer meeting. Remember that? They wouldn't let him in, and finally they let him in, and there he is. And so we leave off the story there that Peter just goes off somewhere, and then it just turns back to Herod Agrippa I. It says, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Luke doesn't tell us why, and secular historians don't tell us why. He was mad either, just in case you're wondering where Tyre and Sidon are. They are right up here in the Phoenicia, right here in Phoenicia. They are up north from Nazareth. There's Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem will be down here. So this is the area right here where, where Herod Agrippa I, he was kind of ruling over this. Understand something. They were under Roman oppression. He is, you know, they refer to him as a puppet king. He's really more of a politician than he is a king. He's a Jewish. The, the Romans kind of put him, installed him in there, and he pretty much did nothing other than just stood in front of everybody and was kind of a talking head. So, so together, these people from Tower Island, they presented themselves before Agrippa I after winning Blastus. Man, what an in- we're going to see some interesting names this morning. I would not want to name my son Blastus because if he blasted us, it would be no big deal. I mean, it was what you expect. Winning Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom. Now, that sounds strange to us. What that means is that he was like his highest-ranking assistant, okay? They asked for peace because their country was supplied with the food from the king's country. So they wanted to get along with this politician because this politician was the one that had authority over their food source, okay? Here's an interesting verse right here. On an appointed day, so if we're reading the text, we're like, what appointed day is this? Well, so Josephus, who was a... Jewish historian. So listen, very careful to understand this. He was not a Christian. So he's referred to as a secular historian. Outside of the Bible, he's writing about the events. And by the way, he writes about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Secular historian. So people are like, oh, he didn't really, really, that's all made up. Well, there's secular historians that record what happened there in the Bible. Well, he actually writes about this event that we're reading this morning. Josephus does, and here's what he says. He says, on this appointed day, it was a feast in honor of Herod's patron, the Roman Emperor Claudius. So that's what they're doing. They're getting together, having that. Now, here where Herod Agrippa I is, when he comes out to do what we're about to watch him do right here, primarily is going to have a Jewish audience. There is going to be some Greeks, Gentiles in there, but primarily, but here's what they did in this time. They were all about emperor worship. From the Roman influence over to them, and now Herod's all about, he thinks of himself, even though he's really nothing, he thinks of himself as like equal to the emperors and the common people's eyes, and he likes for them to worship him. This is really a worship service over all of Roman Empire, really is what it is, and he wants to be, you know, even though he thinks of himself as a Jewish king, he wants them to, to, you know, tag him in on this and worship him as well. He likes to be worshiped. Is there... Anyone in our culture today who is famous that is being worshipped. And just a human, I mean, like, I don't, you know, it is beyond me why on earth we care what an actor has to say about God or politics. Right. Every time, you know, get the, the actor up there, you know, I mean, let's just come back to this. When, do you know what an actor does for a living? They pretend to be something they're not. 
So why do I care what he has to say about God or something like that? And he's like, who cares what you got to say, man? And so that's really what Herod Agrippa is. Really, I mean, he's just a very famous person that just has, does a lot of talking. And so here he is. He's one of the, he comes out. And here's what Josephus says about his royal robes. He said that it was, it, was a, it was an interesting thing, that his robes were actually made of silver. There was silver put on outside of his robe, and he seated himself to where right at the perfect time, at this time of the day, where the sun came through where he was setting, and it would hit this silver robe, and it would just explode out and sparkle, just made a magnificent. This is what Josephus said about this event, okay? So he said that he went, and he seated on the Bema, y'all might recognize that from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that all of us who are in Christ Jesus, will, uh, uh, we will be before the Bema seat of Christ, will be judged according to our works, not according to our sin. Hallelujah. I can't say that enough, by the way. I am excited about that. It doesn't matter what, what, you know, what I do for the Lord. Does it matter about my motives in serving the Lord? Oh, yes, it matters. Absolutely, yes. And then Herod... He begins to do his thing. He delivers his speech. And by the way, people love Herod. I mean, we, we, we see him as a villain, but they loved him at this time. This simple people here, you can see, they began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. So Herod's got a choice right here. Herod Agrippa I got a choice right here. He can either absorb this worship and be like, yeah, that's right. Y'all worship me. I'm like a deity. Or he can say, hold on. Like we see so many other people in the Bible do. I'm just a mere man. Don't worship me. I'm not a God. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, you know, years and years and years reading this story, I thought, man, that just the worms ate him right there, and he just kind of crumbled down, and worms came out everywhere, you know, like some Marvel movie or something. Josephus, however, says that he was struck with pain from evidently this parasitical type of worm that was in him to the point to where he was bent over and they had to carry him out. They carried him to his room and he died, actually died five days later in agony. Now, here's what we do. We look at a verse like this and we think, oh man, we cannot encourage each other in church because we will build them up and they'll get eaten by worms. And so as a result, we are, we are, listen, we, I, I you know, there's been people that, you know, over the years of serving, I remember one time, Melissa and I, we, we had a woman on a praise team, and man, she could just, when she sang, it was amazing. And I never will forget, you know, real quick, she let us know that she did not want us to tell her that we thought that that was good. You know, the Lord, I mean, like anytime we say, man, that was, that was such a, she, no, 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 that's all the Lord, all the Lord, all the Lord. So here's what we've done. We've got to the point to where we will not encourage people in the body of Christ because we think we're going to build them up and they will become prideful. So what's our scriptural context for this? 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. You should be willing. Listen, if somebody else is serving the Lord and they're ministering to you, and you appreciate that, there's not anything wrong with you encouraging them. He's like, I don't want them to become prideful. That's not, your, that's not your business. That's the Holy Spirit's business to deal with their pride, okay? I mean, you don't, we don't want to make them into a God. I mean, like, do we have pastors in our culture that we worship? Yep. We, we have, I mean, we have celebrity pastors that I mean, like, we think they can do no wrong, and then when they, just, they get all messed up because they start thinking they're great, and then they, get all, then they mess up and do all kinds of wrong, we're like, I can't believe they did that. Listen, Believe it. They're human. And, and we all are human. We all make mistakes. Don't ever put anybody up on that platform. But we equally ground, we encourage one another on equal ground right here. Let me tell you a story right quick, a make-believe story. And I will try to be real quick with this because I believe this is important for your future. There is a pastor right now, this is make-believe, in a country church, under 100, running about 40 people. He's bivocational. His wife has to work. They have three children. He is working full-time. He is preaching three sermons a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He has to visit everybody and everybody in the church and then everybody's relative in the church when they get a little bit sick. He has to study and try to get ready for three sermons. 
and he has no time for his wife to cultivate their marriage. He has no time for his children to cultivate his relationship with them. And everything is falling apart. And he is barely scraping by. And he is on the edge of burnout. And then a larger church comes along and says, we'll quadruple your salary. You'll preach one sermon a week. You get to be in an elder-led church. They'll take care of the administrative stuff. You'll have all the time for your wife to cultivate your spiritual life with your wife, and you'll be able to take, have time for your children. And he takes that larger church, and everybody in the little church are crushed. They never encouraged him. They never, Pastor Appreciation Month came and went, and they never said a word to him. They didn't want to encourage him because they're afraid he won't build his head up and make it explode and make him prideful. And when he left, they all cried and couldn't believe it. And oh, he just used us as a stepping stone. Was, we were just here for him to get to that bigger church. Can, do you see the other side of that church? And by the way, I'm neither one of those. Uh, no, I'm going to be the ones on the encouraged side, preaching one sermon a week with the elder led. I'm on the good side of that, okay? So don't, don't think this is something I'm trying to lay out there in front of you because I need more perks or something like that. I've got all the perks. I'm blessed, whatever it may be. I'm where God wants me to be. Thank God. I told the elders this morning, I'm not leaving until y'all kick me out or God makes me leave. Amen. The reason I told you that story is because someday you may find yourself in that church with that dude that's serving. And whenever he goes on his way to where God has released him to something where he can take care of his family and himself, don't be wondering, why did he leave? But the word of God spread and multiplied. Wait a second. James gets killed in the first verse right there. Peter gets put in prison. An angel of the Lord releases Peter. And then an angel of the Lord strikes down Herod Agrippa I and he dies. And nothing is going to stop the word of God from spreading. Never has and it never will. Listen, I know we can get mad at world powers and world governments and all this kind of stuff. And you know, rightly so maybe and all that. But I'll tell you something. Nothing the Bible said nothing will ever stop the kingdom of God. So why does Jesus say seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? Because whenever we get in that spot, in that kingdom, then it doesn't matter what falls apart around us. We know how it's all going to turn out in the end. Can we go back to the Old Testament for just a moment? Let's look at somebody else who struggled with pride, much like Herod Agrippa I. This guy's name was Uzziah. Think about this. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Every time I've ever read this in the past, I was like, man, I can't imagine a 16-year-old being king. I can now. Because just because he's king doesn't mean he does everything. It's even like for us, our president, our president doesn't do everything. He's got an administration around him. Maybe they answer to him, but it's not just one man running the show. In this case right here, it's the same thing. Look at this. He's 16 years old. He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jokelai from Jerusalem. Y'all know Jokelai from Jerusalem? I don't either. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God. During the days of Zechariah, look at this, who taught him to fear God. So here's what he did at 16 years old. He found a man that was further along than he was. He brought himself under his authority. And this man that was further along than he was, he taught him the most important thing. He can teach him to fear the Lord. You do realize that whenever we fear the Lord, we're not going to be fearing anything or anybody else. When we truly fear the Lord, I'm not going to be afraid of any people any virus, anything that may happen, any government, I don't be afraid of any of that when I fear the Lord. So he taught him the most important thing, to fear the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is what gives us courageous in our, our relationship with God. And as long, key words, this is his choice, just like it is for us. As long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him Success. Man, you can take a whole sermon and take that verse and build a whole sermon around that out of, out of context. That's Old Testament theology, by the way. Because if I'm going to take that and I'm going to move that over into the new covenant with Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So, well, well, if I seek first the kingdom of God, will I succeed? Hey, you better believe I'll succeed. 
I will succeed in what's called sanctification. And I don't know anybody who's ever been sanctified without pain. Jesus said, hey, listen, in me, you will have peace. In this world, you will suffer, but be courageous. I have overcome the world. So what is success? If I'm going to seek the Lord, am I going to have success? You better believe you will have spiritual success, but you may not have financial success. You may not have material success. You may not have success in your health. All these kind of things where the prosperity gospel is wrong. You may and you may not. I don't know. Man, you may be the wealthiest person on the face of the earth, and God, you, you, know, you use that for God's glory. I don't know. But here's what I do know. If you seek the Lord, there's no promise of health, wealth, and prosperity right here and right now. So let's don't take that out of context. Man, Uzziah, listen, he's a man's man. He declared war on the Philistines. It wasn't like the Philistines come and attacked him. He's like, oh, dadgummit, come on, let's go fight the Philistines now. I mean, he proactively went at the Philistines. If you read your Old Testament, the Philistines are God's enemies, by the way. He's like, he proactively, he went after them. And he broke down the walls of Gath, Jebaniah, and Ashdod. And he built new towns in the Ashdod area and in other parts of Philistia. Philista. God helped him. Look at this. In his war against the Philistines. So he's getting help from God. You see this? It's not him. It's not his power. He's getting help in his wars against the Philistines. His battle of the Arabs and Gur and his wars with the Meunites. The Meunites paid annual tribute to him, and his fame spread even to Egypt, for he had become very powerful. So this, this king, Uzziah, he's becoming very famous. He's becoming very powerful. He's even got foreign countries paying him money just to get along with him. Did y'all see that? Uzziah built fortified towers in Jerusalem in the corner gate and the valley gate and at the angle in the wall. Uzziah had an army of well-trained warriors ready to march into battle unit by unit. This army had been mustered and organized by Jael, the secretary of the army, and his assistant, Maaseiah. They were under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officials. So look at this. Uzziah has got a man over him teaching him to fear the Lord. And then he's delegating responsibility to these three men. And he's got one of the most powerful armies in the world because the Lord is working through him. Listen, here's the key. He's staying in his lane. He's not doing what other people can be doing. And he's not isolating himself saying, I know it all. I got it all together. He's got somebody else speaking truth into his heart submitting himself under their authority, and God is so pleased with this that everything is going God's way because he is joining God in what God's doing. Am I making sense? Is this clear? Because here's the thing. Whenever we start to move out and isolate ourselves onto our, by ourselves, that's when we move into dangerous ground. So Uzziah, he provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, coats, and mail, bows, and sling stones. And he built structures on the wall of Jerusalem designed by experts to protect those who shot arrows and hurled large stones from the tower and the corner of the wall. His fame is spreading far and wide. For the Lord gave him marvelous help, and that's the only reason he's succeeding. Marvelous help. And he became very powerful. How many people do we have in our culture today that would just love to be an internet sensation? I mean, there was a time whenever you had to like go like to Hollywood or something like that to become famous. Now you just come up with something, you know, in your in your house oh, and put a video. Man, that thing goes viral. You become there's people that are famous that just live out in the woods. You know what I'm saying? And how many people do we have that are like, man, I want to be famous. I want to have 10 million views on my whatever it may be. You know any famous people, by the way? Because the famous people that I know from a distance only know one famous person. I knew him whenever he was young, and now that he's famous, I don't really get to talk to him anymore because he's famous. But very few people become famous without it messing them up. Do you know why? Because God created us to worship him and him alone. He did not create us to be worshiped. And whenever we, be, we, get, we get the worship, that messes us up. He now 
has become very powerful. But, Uzziah's got a big but, when he had become powerful. Excuse me, I teach eighth eighth grade boys on Wednesday night, okay? I just flew in there. When he had become powerful, he also became proud. That's the natural thing. Powerful, then proud, which led to his downfall. The natural degression. That's not a progression. That's degression. I mean, it starts off powerful, proud, and there is his downfall. Look at this. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. So there was a priest only that was consecrated to burn the incense. See, he's always let everybody else stay in their lane, and he stayed in his lane. But he's like, I don't need some lily white priest to burn my incense. Man, I'm a warrior of God. I'm a successful dude. I can go in there and burn my own. Do you know what burning incense is? It's representative of the prayers of the people coming before the Lord. The priests consecrated by God, this is scriptural. In the Old Testament, it is a prescription from the Lord that they are to consecrate themselves, only, this, only the priests, to go in and burn the incense. So why, why are the priests doing this? Because Listen, because sinful man cannot approach God. These consecrated priests, they stood between the people and God. So they brought the prayers of the people to God. They brought the, the sacrifices, which would forgive the people of their sins, to God. God heard the prayers. God did the forgiving. And it's all they have to have the priests. You know, you realize how that, let's take that from Old Testament to New Testament. So now that you come under the blood of Jesus, the Bible says we are all believer priests. We all can approach the throne of God freely in Christ Jesus. I only saw one person smile on that one. Man, come on, people. That's two. We go three, four. All right. Don't give me that stone face look this morning. Something to rejoice about. So he personally, man, I'm going to do it on my own. Azariah, the high priest, went in after him with 80 other priests, the Lord, all brave men. This is interesting. Azariah's not, I'm not going in after that dude by myself. I'm getting 80. He's getting everybody he can. All the priests, everybody. No, you too, check out. Listen, everybody, y'all come in. And they were all brave men to come face Uzziah because, listen, Uzziah is not somebody you mess with. 80 of them coming in. Man, I mean, it's like a, it must have been wall-to-wall priests coming in there. Here we got Uzziah up at the front. He's got the incense burner, and he's burning it. And here all these priests come rushing in. Now, he could be like, Oh, you know what? I respect you, men. And you're standing firmly on the word of God. This is scriptural what you're bringing to me. I'm wrong. I mean, you pray that God will forgive me, and let's get, let, get me out of here and let me pray and ask God to forgive me. That's the one choice. That is radical humility. That's going to take the work of God in his heart to be able to do that. Or... When they confronted the king Uzziah, he said, they said, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn the incense of the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone because they've been consecrated to this. The descendants of Aaron who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary for you have sinned and the Lord God will not honor you for this. So here's his choice. What's he going to do? Is he going to be submissive and repent or is he going to be prideful and bow up? Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. But as he was standing there raging against the priest, before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead, right there, for everybody to see. So his natural response, 81 men coming to him with scriptural ground, was to bow up and start yelling at them and raging against them. How dare you Do you realize if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have this temple? Do you realize I'm the one that provides you with all of this? Do you see the pride in that? How dare you speak to me like this? I don't need anybody burning my incense. And right in the middle of that, God struck him with leprosy on his forehead. Now, why leprosy? Do you remember in the New Testament? When the leper had been cleansed, Jesus cleansed the leper. What did, what did Jesus say to him? Go show yourself to the priests. Do you know why? Because if you had leprosy, you come under the authority of the priests. 
So he's standing out there saying, I'm not under your authority. I'm the king. I'm the ultimate authority. Don't you tell me what I can and I can't do. And God put him under their authority when he struck him with leprosy. You either choose by your own free will to humble yourself or in time, one way or another, God will humble you because that's what we all need. It's either my choice, willingly, or pain is going to get me there because nothing will humble us quite like pain will humble us. Look at this. When Azariah the high priest and all the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out. And the king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. Interesting, because what happened? Did the Lord strike Herod with the worms? What it said, it struck Herod. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house because that's what selfish pride will do. You can live in the same house with other people and be separate. Some of y'all may be doing this right now. You're in the same house with your husband or with your wife, but you're actually living separate. And here's what I will tell you. You can tell me what your story is, and you may have valid grounds on your side. You may be 100% right, but here's what I can tell you. This right here is why it's got both of y'all living separately, married. Selfish pride always comes down to selfish pride. Now, I know it's all their fault, not yours. I got that. <laughs> and you're like, man, I hope that, that they're hearing this right now. But I'm asking you to do something today. Would you pray that the Holy Spirit would stir in your heart and help you see? What's, see, it's, what's my part in this? What, 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 can, what are you doing in my life, O oh Lord? The devil wants you to be separate. Your flesh wants you to be isolated. The world is telling you you deserve to be on your own. It's better that way. And that all ends in a painful place. And he was excluded from the temple of the Lord, separated from his family, excluded from the Lord, all because of his selfish pride. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. So how do I have, what's, what's, what is radical humility? What does it do? What does it look like? Radical humility will find an advocate to confide in. Someone that I trust, that I know I can share my heart with, and they're always going to tell me the truth. And I know that's not easy to find. We talk about accountability partners as an advocate. And I know that, you know, for you to find someone you trust, especially in a small community, that's not going to go tell your junk to everybody, that's tough. You know, listen, I've got, um, it, doesn't, you don't, it doesn't just happen. You've got to go looking for it. So there are a few people in my life that if they come to me and they say, David, listen, I see some inconsistencies in you. I'm not going to bow up in a minute. I'm going to be like, whoa, wait a second. Let's, okay, let's pray about it. But then I want you to know, too, either been doing this a few years, and I've received anonymous letters and all kinds of stupid stuff, and I don't pay any attention to those. But I'm asking you, do you have people around you that whenever everything, whenever the first, listen, when the anger bows up inside of you, do you have someone you can go to and say, hey, here's the situation, and they'll be honest with you? Not just take your side and go, yeah, you should be mad at them. Let's go kill them. They'll on your side. But do you have somebody that you can tell them and they're like, I don't know, David. Maybe it's like this. Maybe they're coming from this direction. That's what my wife does for me, thank God. She's always on my side, but she's always trying to spread light on the truth. Say, you know, David, I don't think they meant that, okay? Radically, it always initiates reconciliation. The strongest person in the relationship always initiates reconciliation. So, men, let me get on to you for a minute. You think you're all bad and strong and everything? And if you sit over and you get mad at your wife and you pout and you give her the silent treatment, you're not. You're being a wimp. The strongest person always initiates. If your wife has to come to you and initiate the reconciliation, man, come on. 
You should be the one doing that. You should be the one to be able to step back and go, maybe I'm wrong in this to start with, and work from that area. Some of you, you need to call your mom or your dad on the way home today. Some of you need to call your son or your daughter on the way home from church today. Some of you need to get around the dining room table today and start working on a reconciliation. At all, a radical humility seeks to serve within the family. It doesn't come home and sit down, here I am, you know, where's the food? You know, come, come take my boots off, whatever it may be. Listen, radical humility comes in and says, it's not about everybody serving me, you know, man, I'm home now, but it's about me serving the family. Got zero amens on that one. <laughs> Crickets this morning. That's all right. I'm afraid the Holy Spirit's going to strike you. <laughs> radical humility will seek to join God in his kingdom work and that is so much easier said than done. Because if you're really going to do that, you're going to run into something called spiritual warfare. You're going to run into usually getting to the end of yourself real quick and real fast in a hurry. If you're going to do that. that's Listen, all I'm telling you is you can't do this in your own strength. Please hear me. You, you have to pray, read your Bible, Seek after the Lord. I mean, really pray that God will change your heart. God's going to have to give you this radical. He's going to have to do a supernatural work changing your nature. That's the only way this is going to happen. Man, how many of y'all have ever, don't raise your hand, because you may be thinking it right now, how many of you have went to a church filled with prideful people? So proud of who we are and what we don't do. All those sinners out there, man, they should be like us. Who wants to be a part of that? How would you like to go to a church full of humble people, radically humble people, that don't judge you by your past? They're not looking down their nose at you and worrying about what you do and you don't do. They're looking to serve you, see you grow in your sanctification to become more like the Lord to see you grow in your relationship with your family. I would love to be a part, of a part of a church like that. Let's all stand. As you're standing, I want to show you two more slides this morning, and I will be done. I have known some people that were church leaders that had the gift of gab. And in their gift of, gift of gab, I mean, they were very gifted church leaders, respected church leaders. But in their gift of gab, their talking was primarily about me, myself, and I. And sit down to talk to them, and if you're not talking about them, their eyes glaze over and their mouth falls open, and they're just waiting for the point to jump back in there and tell you all about themselves? Because all of us deal with selfishness. Now listen, listen. I want you to hear me right now. Please hear me. Many of you are about to go to a home group. And you need to talk about yourself to a degree. I'm not saying don't ever talk about yourself. Because some of you need to go in there. Because you're going to use this against the Lord this morning. You're going to go in there, and there's some tough questions on the discussion questions this morning about pride. And, you know, and, you know your leader's going to read, my leader's going to be Chuck. I mean, like, I can see Chuck, you reading some of those letters and being crickets. Well, David said, I shouldn't be talking about myself. No, don't use it that way, okay? But look at this. Here's what the Apostle Paul, in my estimation, the greatest Christian who ever lived, here's what he said. Right in the middle of pride, I'm not even hooked on phonics, and I can see that. PR, eyes right in the middle, just like sin. Eyes right in the middle of sin. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Boy, that's, that's heavy-duty stuff right there. And this, he said, this is my choice. As far as this flesh is concerned, because this flesh is doing nothing but getting me in trouble and making me miserable. So I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. My pride, me, myself, and I, it's not about that anymore. Oh, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You say a prayer with me this morning, you don't have to say it out loud. This is from the Wild at Heart, daily prayer, extended version. I take up the cross and crucify my flesh with all its pride, selfishness, arrogance, unbelief, and idolatry, vanity, lust, discouragement, disillusionment, distraction, negative thoughts and feelings. I put off the old man. Apply to me all the work in your cross, death, blood, and sacrifice. I receive it with thanks and give it total claim to my spirit, soul, and body, my heart, mind, and will. What if you start off your day every day with that one? You can take a picture of that if you want to, or you can just find it on the Wild at Heart website or app. That's a good thing to pray right there. Man, I tell you what, church, I had to do a whole lot of repenting before I preached this to you because I am one of the most prideful people I know. I'm still preaching to myself this morning, so... There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if you want to come down here this morning and pray with me, we can pray about pride a little bit this morning together. Maybe you need somebody praying for you. You're welcome to come down. Ask for somebody to pray with you. You can sit down in your seat if you want to, kneel down right there, whatever you feel most comfortable that really you feel like will help you pray. Maybe your marriage needs prayer. Maybe your adult children, their marriage needs prayer. Maybe you see the selfish pride is destroying your life, your relationships, your marriage. Your relationships with your adult children or your teenage children or even your small children. You see, it's just wreaking havoc. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right now, just confess whatever it may be. Maybe right now you have, you're holding on to unforgiveness Maybe there's somebody who's, and they've sinned against you, and, and you have every right in the world to be mad at them. Here's what I would invite you to pray. Pray this. God, grant me the ability to forgive. Maybe it's even yourself. Maybe there's something you've done and you just cannot forgive yourself. God, I pray that you grant me repentance from the sin of unforgiveness and anger. Would you pray that? Maybe your flesh is holding on to a grudge against someone and you like having that grudge. And you've got other people you talk to about that grudge. And they agree with you. And they're, they're begrudging with you. And the Holy Spirit right now is telling you to release that. So God, I pray that you would give me the power to release this grudge against. Just fill their name in right there. Maybe your struggle is, is that you came down before church one day and you prayed with a pastor and you got baptized, but you never have been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So why don't you confess that before the Lord right now? Say, Lord, I'm, I know that I have not been converted. There's no change, no transformation in my heart. So I bring myself to you, Lord. Lay my life before you. I bring my life under the authority rule of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, transform me, renew me. Do your regenerating work in my heart and my life. Would you pray that? So whatever the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you today, here's what I can tell you. My words will only have an impact to the parking lot. Whatever I say to you, it's just going to get as far as a parking lot. You'll be mad again by the time you leave the parking lot. You'll be grudging again by the time you get to the parking lot. You'll be mad at your family. Your kids will get you all wound up before you ever get out of the parking lot. My words can't do anything to change that. But I do know the power of the Holy Spirit can change that, can transform that, can transform you. So what I would say is this, is whatever the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you this morning, you can be seated. Whatever the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you this morning, take action on it as soon as you can. Don't wait till you get home. Don't wait till later. Don't wait till tomorrow. Take action as soon as you can while the Holy Spirit is stirring and moving. Make that relationship right. Move towards reconciliation. Maybe you say, man, you say, David, I've tried to reconcile over and over and over again with them, but it never works. They're so stubborn and mean. Then here's what I would say. Start praying. Praying for God to soften their heart and transform their heart, and you keep on moving towards reconciliation. You keep on trying. Don't give up. Has God given up on you? No. Has God forgiven you? Yes. Has he transformed you? And there's nobody outside of his reach. No one. The most powerful thing you can do for someone is to pray for them. So if your heart is right before the Lord, and you're doing everything you can, and the relationship keeps getting worse, then I would encourage you to start praying for that person. That's where you get the advocates to pray, pray with you. The more people you got praying with you, the more powerful it is. Don't know why it works that way, but that's the way it works. We're to pray for one another. Pray for all the saints. See that over and over again in the Bible. Forgive one another just as you've been forgiven. That's all I see in the Bible over and over again. The devil wants you isolated, wants you angry, wants you begrudging. And Jesus came to set you free. Which one are you going to do? You're going to let your flesh roll with a selfish pride or are you going to pray for the Holy Spirit to bring radical humility into your life?